Hello and welcome to another episode of Use of Force. The incident that we will be talking about today happened on July 28th, 2014 in the West Village at a store called Smoking Culture that's at 177 West 4th Street. We passed this location as we were walking through Manhattan this week for our walk focusing on the Royal Tenenbaums movie locations. This incident does not have a use of force report, be, I think because the incident involved a New York police detective and two U.S. Marshals. Mm -hmm. It's unclear to me exactly who fired the shots that ultimately killed the man named Charles Mosdier, but I'm assuming that it must have been, yeah, I guess these people aren't considered standard NYPD and say so they don't need to make a use of force report. Right. And this case is unique to all that have come before it that we've covered insofar as this was somebody that was wanted for an extended period of time and in fact had been nationally televised. Right. So Charles Mosdier was a 32-year-old man at the time of his death. He was wanted for an accusation in California, and it was a child molestation accusation. He had been arrested a few years prior and had, with the help of his family, paid his bail and immediately ran from California, ditched his car in Georgia, and then it's unclear how he got up to New York, but ultimately got up to New York because when he was being tracked from California, they were only able to track him to his car that he had left in Georgia. So for a couple of years, he had been living in Greenwich Village in New York. He had changed his name and he had grown out his hair and he was working at this um, smoke shop, vape shop. And the way that he was found was because the, there was a show called The Hunt, which aired, I think, about a year prior, but then re-aired just about a week before this incident occurred. And when it re-aired, they got... I think it said three tips. I know it was multiple tips of where he was. One of them was his 
girlfriend who recognized him on the show and immediately called and gave them his cell phone number and his work address so that they could trace him. And this was, was this the co-owner of the dog that the gentleman owned, or is that a separate tip? So the, the other tip, I don't know if it was the co-owner of the dog. The dog ended up staying after this whole incident. The dog ended up staying with the roommate of this man. But there was a second tip that was called in about recognizing the dog. And I don't, I don't know that it was specifically, I don't think it was someone that specifically had a relationship with the dog. I think it was just someone from the neighborhood that recognized the man and the dog mm -hmm. from seeing them around. And then there is also a tip from a woman in Florida. It's unclear because it's written in multiple different articles in different ways. It's unclear if the woman in Florida is the same woman as it, who's referenced in another article as a girlfriend. I assumed when I read the other article that the girlfriend was in New York, but it, that was actually unclear as well. But there was also a woman in Florida that gave the cell phone number yeah. after watching the... Yeah, my understanding was that the woman in Florida was also the co-owner of the dog, which might also make her the girlfriend. Okay, maybe that's all... Maybe that's all true. I guess it's unclear why she's in Florida if she's the girlfriend, but. I mean, the girlfriend at some point in time. Right. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, that might be it. So I think that this, I mean, there's a lot of information around this. Obviously, this. The tracking down of this person was made into a TV show, and it's been extremely sensationalized. So there's a lot of information, but it's all sort of in this really dramatic tone. And I don't really, I, I feel like this is a hard incident to talk about. I mean, they all are to some degree, but this man had two incidents in California of molesting a child. And when they, when the police found his apartment and his cell phone and his computer, after the shootout at the smoke shop, there was there were pictures of child pornography and there were pictures depicting bestiality. And in the previous incident when he was being investigated in California before he left, there were they found pictures of child pornography on his devices as well. So these are things that are just so obviously wrong. And I would think that everyone 
agrees that that's wrong and not okay and we're all on the same page about wanting to get people that are engaging in these acts to stop engage, you know to stop engaging in these acts in whatever way that means either to imprison them or to get them some help or in this case to be uh, blunt I guess you know in a lot of these articles it ends by saying at least there's another this person isn't on the street anymore and the parents of the children that were abused by him are happy that this is the outcome and in the context of this segment that we do it is making me think that I don't feel comfortable feeling that way um, but I also experience the same disgust at the things that this man did yeah well from the top it seems that there isn't anything that the NYPD specifically did that appears controversial when compared to some of the other cases we've covered over this year. Right. I think they approached him at his place of work. They were all wearing bulletproof vests ready to ready to take him into prison and bring him to the justice system in California but also possibly ready for a violent encounter and this was in the middle of the day in the West Village in a nice in a really beautiful area beautiful street the store itself is a really nice looking building so I don't know yeah it seems like the NYPD and the marshals involved here it seems like the the way that they tried to interact with Charles Mosder to to uh take, take him, him in yes he was was correct yeah it yes. seems like I they mean, didn't do it, anything wrong in that the uh, it defeats the procedure it would seem of trying to take someone into custody that has been on the run for many years right and he in fact was armed and mm -hmm. prepared to uh, have a firefight with people there were, he had extra ammunition he was aware and this was the life he was living right right he had a gun on him that had five rounds and he used all five rounds and it seems as though he actually he did end up shooting the police officers as well and it seems like each bullet that he shot made contact with a police officer so he was ready to go um, he was ready to do this and i don't know that there's anything that there would have been any other way to apprehend him in sort of a safer environment this to me seems like as safe of an environment as you could get right and according to 
the few people that were interacting with him periodically in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. he never left the the store or left the store as little as possible and only left at night and was keeping a very low profile, was having food delivered to the location, was right. just on his computer and smoking and that's it. Right. Didn't really have a lot of friends. There were reports that he didn't make eye contact and people felt uncomfortable about him. Some other people said that he would occasionally ask people to go get dinner with him and you know, push push it saying that he would pay, really sort of wanting company from time to time. But other than that, being a recluse. Right. So as far as we can say, there this particular case doesn't have a ton on the NYPD side of things. And then it just kind of becomes an instance of what society is bringing to this story. And a lot of times when we talk about that, we're talking about city-specific issues. And this isn't necessarily a city-specific issue. This is how society thinks of pedophilia, Mm -hmm. which is one of the very few crimes that is kind of roundly understood to be unconscionable. Right. So we have a person that committed, or allegedly, and we can presume actually, committed molestation against multiple children, and then fled out of fear, shame, what have you, basically uh, trying to avoid the consequences of that, and then change their life into this life of living in a dark building, living in living in the shadows mm-hmm. in order to avoid, you know, having to deal with the consequences of their actions. Right. And... It would seem that that really twisted them, twisted him, you know, to be armed constantly, to be living in fear of the moment that ultimately came, which was, you know, his demise. It doesn't seem like uh, he was necessarily eager to have this encounter. Right. The behavior would not indicate that. It seemed like he... But he was ready and probably knew to some degree that it was inevitable that it would happen at some point. Yeah. And maybe maybe on the computer trying to find out if there was any information about his case and if, and if people were on to him about anything. Right. I mean, this is speculation on my part, certainly, to what degree this person was living their life in some state of anxiety about this situation, the behavior indicates that they knew that they did something wrong and they were trying to avoid it, avoid the the consequences. 
Yeah, I mean, they definitely knew that they did something wrong because they paid bail and then skipped town. Yeah. So, yeah, they definitely knew that there was something wrong with what was happening. Yeah, it's because it is such a roundly agreed upon heinous act to do something like that to an, a non-adult, to really put that type of emotional burden on a living thing that doesn't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. It becomes incredibly difficult to have conversations about how we can improve this as a society. Right. I think there are in some other countries, I think in Scandinavia, there are rehab, I don't know if they're facilities or there's different ways that people are working with people that are considered pedophiles to help them to not inflict harm on children. And I don't think that we are at a place in our society in the states where where we would be open to that sort of thing. I think there's there's a, you know, some concepts that are I don't know if you'd say being tested or just being used as rehab and but I think that we're still in a place where that is just that is the act of a monster and it's an evil act. And yeah, I mean I want to have compassion for people, but I also, it is a, it is a really horrible thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, when it's, when there's harm inflicted on someone who really just can't defend themselves, no matter what, that's, I think that's what we react to as other people. But I also think that anyone that would do something like that must have something severely wrong with them. There must be some severe mental health issue or trauma of their own that they are doing something like this. Because the vast majority of people don't have these desires and don't, even if they would, wouldn't act on it you know even if they do have the thoughts wouldn't act on it it's yeah. such a minority that do actually do something like this and we have a lot of interest in helping people with other mental health issues i i do think it would be ultimately a positive move to help people that have these issues because ultimately that would allow for no children or very few children to be abused but yeah the compassion and acceptance that it would take to help someone that is having these sorts of thoughts and behaviors i think that's a really i think it's a huge hurdle for people to get over to accept that that's even something that some people are doing yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's the the big hurdle is people are afraid that if they are to communicate compassion and give empathy to someone like this, that it would 
cause some sort of backsliding within society, I think. Right. It almost feels too like it's a, with this particular thing, it's, there might be some kind of idea that we can eradicate this behavior by, you know, just pulling people off the street, locking them up, killing them, whatever it is, that it, this is some sort of very small issue that can be dealt with in a way that is punitive. But I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like something that's been happening since the beginning of human time. And it's probably something that will continue to happen until the end of human time. And how people deal with it will be up to all the humans in the, in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, yeah, our societal understanding of this will shift given enough time. I don't know in what direction it will shift, but it just will. And we, as far as what the current situation is, I, I think he probably ran because less about whatever sentence he was going to get from the governing bodies of California and, and more about the judgment of public opinion. Yeah. Well, I also, I don't know if this is just what people say, but I am under the impression that someone that's arrested for any sort of child abuse is not typically received well in the prison system. And so he could have also been concerned about what his life would have been like in prison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, all part of what I would consider society. Sure. Basically yeah. External um, uh, judgment. Right. External right. evaluation of crimes. Right. And I don't know if I don't know which one is easier and which one should be prioritized fixing the actual punitive issues or the societal issues. Probably you should figure out a way to tackle the codification the way that it's handled at a government level first and hope that society takes cues from that because it's probably not going to be society first that figures this out. Yeah, or in a way it might go hand in hand. I also think, I don't know too much about this, but I, I want, you know, we do study so much other mental health uh, disease or mental health disorder. And I wonder if anyone's studying what this looks like. You know, is there a way to prevent these sorts of things from happening before they even happen is, you know, in a similar way. I know that mental health is very difficult for us to understand still, even from a scientific perspective. But, you know, if there were any sort of like screening or therapy or things like that, that people could get hooked up with before they actually commit any sort of crime, 
Um, I'm curious what the, if there's anyone working on things like that. Yeah. But I think to just briefly get back to the whole, um, the actual use of force in this incident, we already touched on it, but I don't, I don't think that the NYPD necessarily did anything that I can specifically point to as wrong in this incident. It also seems like more of a countrywide policing and the fact that it's been put into the media, made into a TV show. There's so many layers here. And again, I think just purely because of what this crime was, it's hard for me to say that any of it, that there would have been a better way to do it because in some cases, sending out all these search teams and having a show about one person who you know, it doesn't seem like he was committing any abuse in New York. It seemed like he was hiding. But with a case like this, I think you just can't take any risks because if he had been engaging in some sort of child abuse here in New York as well and they didn't follow up on it, so... um effectively then we'd have a whole other problem on our hands so yeah mm -hmm. i don't think that i can point to anything in particular that could have been done differently in this in this particular incident mm -hmm. i agree all right well i think we can leave it at that as always if anyone has anything to add or share either about this incident or any others that we talked about or are going to talk about, feel free to get in touch and thanks for listening. Bye.